Good afternoon and happy Monday with Trial by Fire podcast with your hosts Stacey Huck and Rachel Kovac. Hey Stace, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, but I gotta say the, the wind is bumming me out today because it should have been a super nice day and it's so windy. It is. It is very, very windy uh, over here on the California Central Coast and for really no reason. Like it wasn't predicted that it was going to be windy. Everyone said it was going to be a nice warm day in the middle of December and now it's just windy and um, you should see our studio space where we record here. It's an old, old portable so you can literally hear anything that moves. Uh, so we apologize in advance if you just hear the accompanying wind with us today. <laughs> yeah, hopefully uh, we don't lose power or anything like that and then have to stop. So <laughs> Yeah, only 2020 though. I've come to be like, whatever, it'll happen. Pretty much. But we are so glad to be with you as we're entering week two of Advent, as we're going through the holidays, all the good stuff, good and bad, all through these times. And we're going to get started, as we always do, with our opening prayer. Stace, go ahead and take it away. All right. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our prayer this morning, or this afternoon, is the concluding prayer from the Office of Readings from the Divine Office. And since today is the uh, feast of Saint, or the memorial of Saint Ambrose, who is one of the original four doctors of the Church, uh, we'll use that prayer. So, O oh God, who made the Bishop Saint Ambrose a teacher of the Catholic faith and a model of apostolic courage, raise up in your Church men after your own heart to govern her with courage and wisdom. And we ask this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit. One God forever and ever. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. No, yeah, uh, I felt like Saint Ambrose must have come a little bit because while you were praying, I just heard like, rah, rah, <laughs> yeah, the building moved a little bit. Yeah. Oh well. We'll make it some kind of way. Never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. So week one was last week of Advent, which focused on um, the faith proponent of preparation. And now we're entering the week of love. And it's so it was so relieving when I was talking to teenagers that we kind of got to move away from the romantic concept of love and really talk about preparing for love, which is something that people don't really think about making room to love someone. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't know if I'm good at that, but I am not either. I am not. And, um, I will admit for myself, I have a very, I like things in control. I like things in order. And in my experience, love always kind of takes it and flips everything and I have to reassess. So the concept of like trying to prepare to feel love or prepare to uh, accept love. I think that's even harder for me is accepting love from others. I like to give it. But receiving it, I'm really uncomfortable. No, same here. I would definitely agree. I'm, I'm exactly the same in that way. I'm not good. I'm always good at saying thankful or thank you. And I feel like I'm a very grateful person, but I'm not very good at uh, accepting either compliments or any anything like that. I'm just, I'm not good at that. I don't know why. I'm just, I'm not. 
No, I'm not either. I deflect quite a bit. I don't She's know if I, like I don't know if it stays if you're the kind of person like me where if someone's like, "Wow, thank you so much," I'm like, "Well, thank you so much." Like I immediately pivot. Yeah. Like I, I am so uncomfortable accepting that. And of course, there are the people who are like you're robbing people of joy when you take their love away. I'm like, no, you just don't understand what it makes me feel. Like makes me feel weird. When- oh, I just get nervous. It's not even about, I've heard people say that to me before, like, hey, you have to learn how to, you know, let people kind of praise you or, you know, give you accolades or something like that. And I'm like, no, I'm not good at that. But most of the time is when it happens. The truth is, is that I get really nervous and kind of embarrassed. So I think that's why I deflect. But just saying, it's, it makes me just uncomfortable. Yeah. I don't know why, because it's supposed to be a good thing. It's not like they're, like, cursing me or nothing like that, but it just makes me kind of nervous. It makes me nervous, too, and when I'm nervous, I immediately shield. Like, it's almost like I'm like, hey, like, and you don't see my arms over the podcast, but it's like my arms extend and my legs, like, shield me. Like, I'm so happy, but it's just, like, a protective area to keep me from feeling that nervous energy, which is so different. That was something that I definitely had to learn as I as I got older just because I'm not a person that's usually very close to other people I don't let people get close to me I, I'm very much of a, a kind of a loner I do my own thing it, I've been that way for my whole entire life even since a kid and it really doesn't bug me what other people think or if everyone's doing the same thing as me or if they're doing the polar opposite as me so when I got older um, that was something that I, I definitely had to learn, especially when Gabe came along. I had to learn, you know, to to take nice compliments from someone else and to, you know, let somebody else into my heart, and that was a difficult thing, I would say, at least for me. So maybe that's why I fail at Advent. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know for myself, you know, if anyone that knows my parents, they're very like what you would call like stereotypical loving people, you know, like they love to love and they, um, so for me, it's so odd being their daughter because they love everything. Like they like, they put love into everything that they do. And for me to be so guarded, I feel like, like, so not their kid. Like, if that makes any sense. Like That's when I- a good way to put it, guard it. Because that's definitely, maybe I should recategorize what I just said. Because I don't know if it's that I'm not a trustful person. Is that I'm just very kind of guarded. Mm-hmm. And I don't like people to kind of get into my head to know what I'm exactly thinking or feeling. I feel like that's that's mine. If I, if I want you to know, I'll let you know. That sounds really rude, but if I want you to know, I'll let you know, but I like to kind of have that for myself. Yeah. Because um, I'm just not good at that kind of stuff. I'm not good at feelings. I should say that. I am horrible at feelings. Like, we, I joke about this a lot, but I did write a book about how bad I am at feelings. Like, it's just like, I'm really a poor communicator, and it's something that I really want to strive to improve because... You know, anyone that meets me at first glance, they don't have those thoughts. And then you get to know me, you're like, whoa, there's a bunch going on here. <laughs> but it's I, just something. I wouldn't where... say I'm a poor communicator, I, but I'm just not, I don't know, I'm not driven driven by emotion. Um, unless we're talking about uh, frustration. Sometimes I'm definitely driven by frustration or anger, <laughs> which has to be ringed in and controlled. But uh, I'm not... I don't think I wouldn't categorize myself as like an emotional person. That's not where I go first. 
So, but it's so interesting, you know, because this past weekend we had our Advent retreat for our teenagers. And for teenagers, it was very interesting for me as their youth minister to see where they understood about the history of Advent and then what they've gained from movie specials or conversations in mass or little tidbits they've gotten from Christmas pageants over the years. And what was great is we um, really heightened the importance of the concept of preparation. That Advent is a time to get ready, to get ready for the coming of the Lord. And we started with a game, and um, Stacia laugh at this. We did um, a game of categories where the teens had 90 seconds to write down all the items they think they would need for a new baby. Oh, so they had 90 seconds to write down like, okay, what would you need for a baby? Now they didn't know this, but on the side, I had a list from Pampers, um, that had their top 11 items that I was going to use to compare. And so they have, they're writing their list. And then after 90 seconds, I said, okay, you get, because we're on zoom and we're not in person. If they got something that matched, they had to unmute their mic and wham, like, cry and it was so funny because it was just like some were very universal like oh of course you have this and some I especially the gentlemen were getting really upset like what do you mean this wasn't on the list you have to have this and it was it was really neat to see because we were able to take that very funny transition into this conversation and go toward what it was like for Mary and Joseph separately to start preparing for the coming of Jesus. Because they were told to totally different ways how well, they yeah. were going to have this responsibility to raise the Son of God. Well, yeah. And I mean, obviously, like as somebody who's married and is a parent and had a kid, yeah, I mean, just by your very by the very sex that you are, your idea of preparation is totally different. Because, I mean... Okay, this is, I think that I'm a relative intellect, but this is going to make me sound really stupid, right? Or, and ignorant. But, like, in my mind, there were certain things, like, I remember, like, being, like, a little girl, and, you know, I had, like, a handful of dolls or whatever, and, you know, you practice, like, putting the diaper on. I don't know why we thought that that is, like, you know, something that is fun or cool or whatever, because if you think about it, it's not. No. And when you become a parent... You're pretty over diapers, like, yeah. Day two. Not even. <laughs> not even. Because when you first come home, they don't tell you this, but the baby goes, like, all the time. Mm-hmm. So it's like, yeah. So, like, in my mind, I, there was things that, to prepare, when Gabe and I were going to have Katie, there was things that, like, um, I was just like, whatever, I got this. I'm a girl. I got this. This is, like, I'm not even going to read about that because, you know, that's just, that's just natural. Like, how hard can it be? Like, if you did it on a doll, I mean, come on. It's like the same thing. I mean, some dolls are like the the size is like a newborn. So who cares? I'm not going to, like, I don't care about that. And then, you know, I was, I mean, I'm an avid reader. So, of course, I was reading, like, all these things, like how to be, you know, a new mom, what you need, all these different things. Yeah, Gabe had no books. Uh, he had no books, so we were different in that way. And then our ideas of, like, what we needed was, I mean, we had really simple ideas, obviously. Like, hey, you know, we should get diapers, um, you know, we should have bottles, things like that. And um, 
it was funny because Gabe is the oldest of eight. So lo and behold, you know, we do all the prep and then we have, you have the baby. And then when you come home, there were certain things that I was just like, okay, I'm not good at this. You can try. And he would be like, I'm not going to do that. That's for girls. I'm like, well, I need help. (laughs) So you better learn. And what are you going to do? Like when you're home alone with the baby, you're going to have to do this. And so like one of the things was that was the diaper thing, I'll admit. And then like, it looks super easy. You change the diaper and then you go to pick the baby up and the diaper falls off. It is so frustrating. Mm -hmm. And you can't reuse the tape. So there were times that Gabe was just like, I remember like at one point he's like, I can't believe how much you suck at this. I'm like, I don't see you trying. So he used electrical tape because he would mess up on the diaper. <laughs> so he would retape it on the side. Yeah. I'm like, that is such cheating. Yeah. You know, but there were things that, you know, you think you're so prepared. And I mean, it sounds cliche. And anyone who's listening who has, I don't care if you got 10 kids or you got one kid, right? Um, yeah, it's not as easy as you think. Oh, no. Um, I was the first baby my grandpa ever did a diaper for. And my it was very much that traditional Hispanic mentality of like, oh, no, women rolls, men rolls, you know. But here I was, the first granddaughter for my grandparents, and my grandpa was watching me, and so he had to do it. Like, there was no no one else. And my mom was so proud because he was so proud to show me off but the diaper was backwards. Oh, good time. And yeah, I did so, that. you know, of course she would not tell him this. And rest in peace, Grandpa. You found this out many years after your passing. But, you know, it was so cute because, you know, it was definitely sometimes you have to adjust and shift. Even if you've had years to be around a baby, sometimes you just get called to that responsibility and you're like, okay. Yeah, because I'm the last. Gabe and I are polar opposites in the fact that he's the oldest of eight. But I am the youngest grandkid. So all the other kids were older than me. So there was no, I mean, I never watched anyone or babysat anyone. I was babysat by other cousins and things, but not, you know, I'm the youngest. So I had zero kind of experience in that realm. But but it's funny because I remember uh, switching subjects now. I remember like being in high school and at the time Advent and doing like different Advent reflections. And I, I just remember thinking like, I couldn't imagine having a baby at 16, not, mm-hmm. not because of a stigma or anything like that. Just because I, I remember the things that were important or priorities in my life. And yeah, the baby would not have fared very well. Let's just say, no. <laughs> you know, and, um, I just couldn't even imagine that. And then I remember, I remember like a couple years after uh, we had Katie, it was really funny because I think it was actually during Advent. I was thinking about some of, you know, thinking back, you know, to way back when, when I was in high school. And then I was fast forwarding that, you know, when I was pregnant for Katie and I read all these books on how to be a good mom and what to expect and, you know, what it was going to be like to have a baby and like all these different things. And I remember like going in the labor, like so confident, like, I know everything there is to know. I know what to expect. It's like, this is a piece of cake. And I remember thinking, like, wow, this is nothing like what I thought it was going to be. This is pretty horrific. And um, (laughs) I'm a little worried and a little scared at this point. And then I was like, you know what? I bet you that's how Mary felt. But then I was like, I'm not going to compare myself to Mary because clearly I'm already starting out on a bad foot. Because (laughs) it's not, it's just nothing is going like I intended, you know, 
Because so, I mean, I, this sounds really simplistic, but I remember, you know, asking Gabe, like, hey, because, you know, you read about it in the books. You're like, yeah, you know, you make, like, you get your little suitcase or your bag packed because. The diaper bag. You know, it's unplanned. You you don't know when you might, it might be time to go. And, um, you know, practice your, like, route to the hospital. And I remember, like, asking Gabe about that. And he's, like, laughing at me. And he's, like, why would we practice? We live, like, 15 minutes away from San Luis. There's, like, two ways to get there. We don't need to practice. And then I remember <laughs> we went to the hospital. I'm, like, I think we should go to the hospital. And he went to the wrong hospital. And I was just, like, this, this is not why this you is, practice. This is not funny. We're not starting out good. Yeah. I'm like, you suck, you know. And uh, he's like, well, I think we can go to any hospital. And I'm like, we're not supposed to go to any hospital. We're, we already chose a hospital. And, like, I don't know, you know, it's so many uncertainties and the stress of it. And this, uh, and, and I'm laughing and I'm making fun. It wasn't like it was a bad experience. It was just no matter how prepared I thought we were, it was it just paled in comparison, you know. So I, I think back to that, and I think how difficult it must have been for them, you know, because you you think that we have all this great knowledge and we know so much more, but really it's pretty it's fairly similar, you know. Oh yeah, and we were talking um, at the retreat yesterday. We compared Mary's journey and Joseph's. So, you know, for Mary, here she's 16 and suddenly gets visited, has a visit with an angel to tell her, boom, you are conceiving the son of God, you know, and she, she's like overwhelmed at 16. And, you know, being a high school youth minister, I get to see those ranges and emotions with these great teenagers, the happiness, the fear, um, the uh, hormones. And suddenly that's put on a 16 year old. I couldn't even fathom that reality today. And for Mary at that time, she just so willingly, there was no conflict. There was no No. conflict in her. She fully accepted this role from God. There was no defiance. There wasn't fighting. She was like, I am the handmaid of God. I will do his will. That complete and utter trust is so, that's I think what got me this time reviewing it with the teenagers was that complete openness to give God the control and be like, okay, that is my job. And it was, it was just so to be filled with such faith. I was so just reading it through this time. I was so shocked at how that like, that's so not me. I would have way too many questions. I'd be like, what do you mean? How is this going to work? You give me the words to tell Joseph, right? Like, I'd be like, you let me tell him, my betrothed, that I'm knocked up. Like, I would not know what to say. Like, I would be very, but Mary was just so, you know, okay, I will do your will. And that really was something to see. I asked the teens, I'm like, ladies, do you think it would be that easy for you? And none of them said a for sure no, but no one said yes either. Like, they were kind of like, hmm. Well, and, you know, no matter who your better half is and what kind of support you have, I mean, the experience, the, the experience between you and your husband, or in between, this in case, this case, in between Mary and Joseph, the experience is very different. Oh, very. I mean, not even because of the obvious, just because it's it's just different. You know, your emotions are different. Um, your planning is different and, and how you're envisioning things is really, you know, different. Um, 
Yeah. Just, it's weird. Then, you know, you have Joseph's path, too, as is shared in the book of Matthew, uh, Gospel of Matthew, where, you know, Joseph, he gets told that his new bride, young bride, is uh, with child and baby's not his. And there's a big age gap between him and Mary. You know, they're not like the same age. There's a nice wide gap there. It's humiliating during that time in history. You know, 2,000 years ago, that could have been something a woman was stoned to death for. Like, it was that severe of, like, if people were speculating. And so for him, he could have shamed her. He could have denied her. And he was like, no, you know, he just wanted a quiet separation. He's just like, no, we're going to split. But then Angel had to come to him in the night to give him the ideas and, be like, okay, nope, I'm going to stick this out. I'll be here. And it really makes me think about what you just brought up, Stace, about how men and women process and prepare so differently. Uh, the messages and the conclusions made are so different between the genders as they prepare. No, no doubt. I mean, perfect example. I mean, I remember when we were trying to leave out the door, uh, when I was like, oh, I think we should go to the hospital. And Gabe's like, wait, I have to get the car seat. I'm like, we don't need a car seat. Well, you know, because we're just, what? Not, yeah, because, I mean, you're not there yet, so yes. we have time for that. Like, no, we need to go now. Like, we'll figure out the car seat after. You know what I mean? Like, he was, like, trying to fix it in the truck, and I'm like, are you kidding me? Let's go. Let's go, you know? Um, so, yeah, you could, I mean, just simple things like that. You see, their plan, their idea of planning is way different you know, than ours, whereas I'm like, oh, like, what kind of formula do we buy? Like, do we have enough diapers? And he's just like, the car seat, and, you know, it's got to be facing the right way, and, like, is I'm going to do all the safety thing. I'm like, okay, whatever. He's worried about, like, covering outlets and stuff. I'm like, are you kidding? The baby can't crawl for, like, months. I, I think we're good with the outlets. <laughs> Let's try to get to the hospital, and oh, then we'll go from there. Coverlets? Are you talking about the yeah, ones yeah. that I go through? Oh, I we had those for years, and then gosh, those are such a bear to remove. You'd be like, oh, just like, get it just to pry open and get to the outlet. <laughs> yes, yeah. baby, be so um, stuck on. Um, but then, uh, did you guys have the motion sensor alarms from Fisher Price on your doors? No. Oh, we still do. And they're really? like, they're on our uh, screen door and our front door. And I believe the back door to where if you open, the baby alarm will go. Eh, 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 and oh, like... we, we didn't even have a baby alarm. Like a uh, baby monitor or anything like that. No. Uh, I think Katie, Katie slept in our room in a crib for a long time. Like almost a year. Before she, we moved into her, she moved into her own room. But no. So... No, but, you know, it's like taking that time, you know, that nine months to prepare, especially, you know, and, you know, from what I've observed, I have not, I am not a mother, um, but I've known many mothers, you know, the preparation comes in phases, you know, it's kind of like you prepare like this way. And then as you get closer, uh, things become more tangible, um, but did you have to do any like sort of spiritual preparation for yourself? Right before? Uh, I'm trying to think because that was a long time ago. Uh, no, I remember like when Gabe and I were um, engaged, we were talking about, you know, kids and, and things like that. And, and our idea was that, you know, we wanted to, uh, you know, be married for like a couple months at least till we started a family. And then when we started having conversations about starting a family, 
clearly we both were on the same page that we were not ready to be parents and that we probably weren't going to be good parents. Uh, so, um, that was something. And then it was weird because it was literally like we revisited the conversation a couple months later and we were just like, yeah, I think, I think we're ready, which is like the stupidest thing you could ever say. Because then, you know, it's like one of those things that then, well, of course, when you find out you're pregnant, there's no going back. And, you know, there's obviously it's going to be a first time and, um, it's just not what you're thinking, everything it entails. And, you know, it's just so much, so much responsibility. And I, I know that sounds like uh, cliche or watering it down, but, you know, all of a sudden when you, you take that pregnancy test and it comes back positive, you, you know, the reality that you are carrying another life, it, it almost, to me, it sounds uh, foolish to say, but it instantaneously changes you. It's, something about seeing the little line and you know that it's positive that it just brings this this really uh almost like a severe reality just that you are getting ready to embark now on some on one quite possibly one of the most serious things you've ever undertaken and of course you know you're you're reading all of the stuff and you're making sure your body is in the, the best possible shape to carry a baby and that you're only putting things in your body, you know, obviously you're not, I wasn't sitting, you know, outside next to the trash can smoking cigarettes and drinking beer. You know, you're really conscious of of all those type of things. And, and you know, when I was pregnant for Katie, um, that would have been like 98-ish, I think. Mm-hmm. And so or 97, 98, and, you know, there was not the smoking bans, for example, that there are now, and you, you know, before, it's not that I was, like, a smoker or anything like that, but if someone was smoking, you'd kind of be like, oh, whatever, you know, I didn't really care for the smell of smoke, but you're kind of like, whatever, and now you're pregnant, and you're just like, oh, I can't be around that, you know, just, that's why I think I, I term it, like, a severe reality, which sounds harsh, it sounds like, like, I didn't want to be pregnant. But the truth is, is that you're taking it so serious because now you're carrying another life. And there's this great anticipation of uh, what's it going to be like when I have the baby? Mm-hmm. What, and how's it going, you know, to change our lives? It's going to obviously change my life and it's going to change his life. But how is it going to change our life together? And, you know, there's all these unknowns. And, and um, I'm sure anybody else out there who's listening, who's a parent, you, you know, because our daughter's 22 now. So you have this grand vision of how things are going to play out and, you know, what your kid is going to be like and what your kid is going to grow up to be and all these different things. And, and it's kind of like a fantasy because, like, 85% of it doesn't happen like it was happening. <laughs> in, like it happens in your head. So, I mean, it's a, it's a stressful experience, but it is definitely a life-changing experience to know that you actually carried another life. No, that reminds me so much uh, what you were saying about that severe shift. Um, when my um, cousin told me about that um, she was expecting my first goddaughter, um, we met at a Starbucks. And it was so funny because she was traveling at the time. She had uh, been going to school to, and UCSB and then she was driving back up to her family up in Roseville. And um, she t- says, oh, let's let's meet somewhere um, be- on a break. I'm like, OK, let's go to Starbucks. 
I go and she's standing there and I had been, I don't know why that morning in particular, I was really hungry. And so I got one of those salami and cheese plates and I got a coffee and I'm like, Sarah, what do you want? And she goes, oh, I'll have cocoa. And I looked at her with such judgment at the time. I'm like, Coco, you're driving. What is wrong with you? Like, you need coffee. You need to be able to drive. You don't, you know, you have six hours. And I'm just talking. And she's letting me go. And I'm being really judgy. And then she, I think she got a bagel. And she asked about the pasteurization of the cream cheese. And I remember <laughs> looking at her like, what is your problem? I'm like, you're being so weird. Like, in my head, I was like, what is the deal? And so we go sit outside, and I'm drinking my coffee. I'm eating my salami. I'm like, do you want some? And she goes, no, I can't have deli meats anymore. Oh, because it's like the nitrates and stuff? Yeah. And I look at her, and I'm like, listen, you ask about cream cheese, you're drinking cocoa, and now you're like, can't eat deli meat? Is this a diet? What is this? Like, I don't know what this is. And so she just turned to her phone that had the sonogram on it, And I screamed. Like, it was just this joyful, exuberant scream. I dumped a coffee all over a dog. It was like I spilled it everywhere. I was so full of joy. I felt like such an idiot. Like, once all the pieces came together after, I was like, oh, my gosh, of course. Um, But it was so funny because there were just so many ways that, you know, I would never think, like, to check the pasteurization of cream cheese or (laughs) nitrates for deli meat and Things like that. But you do. Like, as mothers, like, you consume things because you're thinking about a brand new being that is growing in your body. Yeah. I mean, it. I'll be honest. This Not to sound negative, but, like, being a parent or being a mom is definitely, hands down, the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Ever. And I was a fool because I, I thought as your kid gets older, it gets easier. But... It, it doesn't. I mean, the worry just shifts uh, to something different, you know. But it is, being a parent is the hardest thing that I have ever done. And that I've ever, been, hardest, is the most difficult thing that I've ever been through. I mean, that sounds like my kids, like some, like, spawn of Satan or something <laughs> like that. It's not like that at all. It's just, you, I, I mean, I, as a mom, you know, I identify, not because I'm a good person, uh, I identify a lot with, you know, when we see Jesus on the Via Della Rosa and he when he meets his mother and she talks about her keeping all those things in her heart. Because there are, it's just so hard sometimes and you have to keep it there because it's not really, it's not for someone else and it's not even for your kid, but there's a lot of heartache that you take on, uh, a lot of, you know, I think disappointment at different things, not because they made horrible decisions, just because when they hurt, um, and I'm sure, because my daughter and I talk about this every once in a while, um, and she would laugh and she'll always say, I know mom, it's going to hurt you more than it's going to hurt me. But I think you, you don't understand that until you become a mom, but it's, it's like you do, you keep all those things in your heart. So, I mean, I really, that's something that I really super identify. And like I said, it can, it doesn't necessarily, it sounds like I'm, I got this horrible kid. It's not. It's just the pain you see when, for example, when they put so much time and energy into something and they fail or the outcome is not like, you know, they envisioned and, you know, they're, they're disappointed. And it's like your disappointment is times like a hundred. There's mm-hmm. is like times 10. You talk to them the next day. They're semi over it. Two days later, 
they're not even talking about it anymore. Meanwhile, you're still carrying it. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. But you don't want to talk about it because they're over it. It's not technically your deal. And, you know, you let it go. Oh, so, yeah. Oh, I'm going to get in so much trouble for air- airing this on. But that's so true about parents loving, have feeling more for your children. Uh, when we were growing up, my second sister, she had a very uh, long-term boyfriend uh, for many years. And our families were friends. We got together. Uh, everyone was super happy about them being a couple. And then, you know, my sister and her boyfriend had a, probably the kindest, most respectful breakup I had ever witnessed in my life. It was so pleasant and respectful, um, very sweet and honest. And our family took it so hard. Like, we were emotional for them. We're like, what do you mean it's not over? What can you do? What can you try? And uh, finally, my sister looked at my mom and goes, I'm fine. I'm going to be okay. And my mom was so emotional. And my dad was even bummed. Like, he was like, man, I really thought this was going to go through. And it's like they were feeling these emotions over this breakup. And we joke about it even now. It's been almost, (laughs) I think it's embarrassing. It's like been 10 years and we still joke about it. uh, Because we were like, man, that was so hard. (laughs) Because even like, you know, we're fortunate that, my sister dated a really nice guy and unfortunately me and Rebecca, my other sister, we don't have the best taste sometimes. So we've never really cared about anyone else we've dated. Uh, But uh, Hannah and this person, they were so good together, but it was that feeling from my parents and watching them grieve for my sister and for their relationship and to see my, you know, my sister and this person come out on top. They were fine. You know, they, yeah, of course there was the sadness and the feelings that you feel, but and it was really funny to see the response from my own family. Like, to be like, what do you mean they're over? <laughs> it's just that grief. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. No, but, you know, it's like if we when we are in the second week of Advent, you know, we are asking ourselves, how do we prepare to love? Um, we're not asking, you know, and I think that's the verbiage of that question is really important. Because we're not asking about, you know, as Catholics, how we prepare for love, right? There's so many elements to love, right? The platonic, romantic, emotional sibling. There are so many ways we have to prepare for love and like decorate holidays, all that. But when we are being called to prepare to love, that's challenging us of like, what do we have to do to participate in the love of God? How do we make the room for to honor, to love God that much stronger, to celebrate this birth of baby Jesus so much more in this purpose to love? Well, and I think that that's part of, um, last week I talked about being an Advent loser. Um, <laughs> and I failed miserably last week mm-hmm. in everything involving Advent. Uh, but I think that that is part of the reason I am such an Advent loser. One, because I, I know last week I talked about trying to approach it from a, a Lenten perspective. You know, Advent, I just don't feel like it's long enough because it's for only four weeks. Mm-hmm. And so I, I just feel like it's such a great, such a great feast. It's the pinnacle of, of our faith. And four weeks is not enough for me. I just don't feel like, and that's probably why I don't feel like I'm adequately prepared on Christmas Day. 
you know. But you bring up a good point about, um, you know, being called to love because that's something that I have always struggled with is that kind of unworthiness. And um, I guess I'm really big on earning stuff because I've always had to work hard to get where I'm going. It's it's definitely a character flaw for in my own personality that, um, you know, I know the truth. I know I don't have to earn it, earn God's love, or I don't have to do anything to merit heaven, that I'm already in air. But I guess um, that's something that is just um, foreign to me. And so I have to work harder at that in particular aspect of Advent. I mean, it's just something I struggle with, you know, and, and going back to having a kid, you know, that's, that's one of the most phenomenal things about being a parent, you know, is that it is so difficult. Um, it's such a huge responsibility, but then you have this, this being, this new life that comes in and basically you can do no wrong, loves you from the get go. And even when they're not dependent on you for you know, everything anymore, even, you know, within a couple years, they still love you unconditionally. And I think that is a great Advent lesson for us to take moving forward, especially for myself, who, because I, like I said, I do struggle with that. You know, the unconditional love. I don't know where that comes from. Uh, I know I'm always saying something like that. I'm always like, oh yeah, I don't know where that comes from. I know somebody's out there analyzing it or whatever, but <laughs> I, I don't, you know, and it is, I don't know. I think as a person, when you're really honest with yourself, you know what you're good at and you know what you're not good at. And, um, and I know what I'm not good at. And that is one of them. That's such a good point that you bring up the concept of unconditional love because I think that's one of the things, you know, that holds me back from accepting love from others is I can't, I know what I am capable of loving. Like I, you know, people know themselves and what they're able to do. And the idea that something or someone else can love me more than what I can feel or I'm, I'm capable of creating, that's ve- that leaves me very insecure. Like, I know that sounds really weird. Like, it's supposed to be comforting. It's be like, someone loves me more than I love myself. You know, like, someone, you know, that feeling is really good. But that leaves me very suspicious. Like, I know that sounds really weird to say. But I get so hung up on, like, um, the idea that, you know... Like, I let insecurity kind of put doubts in my head. As soon as someone gets close or someone shows love, I go, well, what do they want? Or when are they going to leave? Or when are they going to let me down? Or when am I going to let them down? And I start, like, sabotaging my own self. And that's just such a, it's such a character flaw. Like, I'm immediately, you know, I was always a kid that, like, never trusted friendships. I was always, like... Uh, something's not going to work. Like, I'm not going to really believe in this. Like, and not always, especially if I started caring so much, it was like, it was overwhelming. I would immediately wall up uh, just to protect myself. But that's what, you know, a challenge is to prepare to love and accept that there are going to be people and things that love you more than you love yourself. Things and elements that, you know, that's just going to happen 
And I think that's something that we all need to, or at least myself, need to challenge ourselves to be worthy of that love, to know that you are deserving of feeling and accepting that emotion. And I know for me, I suck at that. Uh, if I feel like it's starting to outweigh or like even match almost like I can't do match. Like if I'm starting to feel like that there's more love, I get scared. I get really afraid of that. Well, I don't have that problem because I just push everything down and push everybody away. So <laughs> that's my solution to that. Uh, I'd like to tell you that I'm being funny, but that is a lifelong pattern that I have. Anybody that's listening that knows me knows, is laughing because they're like, I, I can't believe you just admitted that about yourself. No, I know that I do that. I do that on purpose. I mean, when I was in high school, like I was probably like maybe like a f- freshman or a sophomore in high school, and I remember thinking that, um, I definitely wanted to go to college. I didn't know how that was going to pan out because no one in my co- my family had ever been to college. I mean, I was going to be only like the second person to graduate high school in my family. So, um, but I, I really wanted to, to be a nun and, um, I just didn't tell anyone, you know, and as I, as my high school career progressed and I had uh, close friends that were in relationships and I think I mentioned before that people tend to get married younger where I'm from, mm-hmm. even to this day. And so, um, you know, I I remember talking to one of my best friends, and um, I was just like, she's like, there's no one that you think is hot or whatever. And I was just like, I'm, I'm leaving. Like, I'm leaving in three years. And she was like, what? And I remember being like, yeah, I'm, I'm getting out of Donselville in three years. Like, I'm out of here. I, I don't want anything to hold me back. And she's like, that's in three years. I'm like, I know, but I'm, I'm, I don't want anything to hold me back. You know what I'm saying? And so I remember that was kind of like my secret plan, but I did want to go to college first. And I remember when I went to college, because uh, Gabe is a year younger than me, so my freshman year, I didn't even know him because he wasn't there. I met him at the beginning of my sophomore year, beginning of his freshman year, like w- within the first week of school. And, um, and we just had, we were just, we had mutual friends or whatever. So we, we were friends for a long time before we ever did it. But I remember he wasn't like even on my radar because I was, I literally was doing that. I was, I know that's normal at, um, when you're a young adult to be engaged in, you know, relationships with opposite sex. But I didn't want that for myself because I, I was afraid. I, I think that's what it was. I'll be honest. I think I was afraid that if I, that did happen, that I would not fulfill, you know, um, kind of my, what my aspiration was, was to become a nun. So I just kind of took that obstacle out. Whereas I had other friends at the time who I know I had like two really good friends that were really discerning priesthood. And one of them was dating a girl. And I was just like, um, man, what are you doing? And he goes, because I just, I just need to know what it's like because I'm not going to have this type of relationship. I'm we're going to give this up. And I was like, when are you going to tell her that? Because she didn't know that he was thinking about oh, becoming geez. a priest. And then and I was like, and he was just like, well, this is just, I'm, I'm not going to have these type of relationships anymore. So this is part of my discernment to know if it is, if religious life is for me because, you know, I, that's just a decision I'm going to make. It's something I'm praying about. Whereas 
because we talked about our vocations uh, a lot, the two of us, and I was the polar opposite. I was just like, no, I'm not going on dates. I'm not liking anybody. You know, I don't want I don't want that to interfere with what I'm trying to do or accomplish. So we were like complete opposite, right? Yeah. You know, at least in that aspect. So I that was that was part of my reasoning for always pushing people away because I looked at it as an obstacle, which is probably not healthy, but I just didn't want I, I probably because I didn't trust myself. Because what if I did end up with someone and then I would have had to choose? When so I that's already ultimately what you did, right? You had to choose. Yeah. Right? I did. I yeah, the main the very problem that I was trying to avoid, I found myself in that situation. But when I knew Gabe, I mean, he knew that about me. Because he had thought about becoming he himself had thought about becoming a priest. So but he was kind of, I don't want to say over it, because that sounds like it it lessens the vocation, but he just had decided for himself that he didn't think, you know, that was something he wanted to do anymore. He didn't think, you know what I mean? Yeah. Just because there was other things that he was thinking about. Because when I met him, he was pre-med. He, you know, how are you going to be a priest, man, be pre-med? and Doctor you, priest. Yeah, type of deal. And he didn't mm-hmm. want to be a religious, you know what I mean? He would have been like a diocesan, I think. Mm. I think the only order he maybe looked at maybe might have been like the Franciscans or the Benedictines. So, it, you know, it wasn't compatible with what he was trying to do. So, yeah, I did end up having to, um, I did end up having to choose. When I moved to Europe, uh, he was one of the only people, it was oddly enough, who uh, I kept correspondence with. Um, through the mail, and um, anyways, uh, I was very close to entering the convent in um, Assisi uh, and becoming a poor Claire, and at the last minute, I just decided I would like to finish my college education first, and then, you know, maybe enter, and then by that time, I found myself in a situation where I was kind of in uncharted waters because I had always... um, I had always kept myself out of the relationship kind of sphere because I just didn't want that. And uh, to me, that was just muddying the waters. It was just wasting. It was a waste of time. Mm-hmm. I, that sounds really horrible, I know. No. But it was, a, to me, I was so fixated on this, uh, on this one thing. Um, you know, I even went on a retreat for the Diocese of Baton Rouge for vocations. I mean, that's how serious I was about it in high school. I mean, I feel comfortable saying that now, but, I, I mean, no one knew I did that at the time. It was total um, anonymity when you went. And it was, you know, a couple-day-long retreat. I didn't know anyone there. It was kind of nice. It was all other young people who were considering vocations, men and women. And, um, you know, that was spending those four or five days there at the retreat center, um, that kind of solidified that that's what I wanted to do with my life. So from that point moving forward, that was, you know, I, I guess the way I would equate it is like, you know, if you were once a drug addict, you, you can't really hang out with people anymore who, you know, if your friends still do drugs. because yeah. So that's, I know that sounds really harsh, but that's kind of how I looked at it. Like, I don't want any kind of relationship because it's just going to muddy the waters. And I really felt that 
that's the way, you know, that's what I was being called to do. Ironically, my best friend in college was dead set that she was going to get married and have, like, a ton of kids. And fast forward to all these years later, my best friend is a Dominican. <laughs> she, didn't get, she didn't get married. She, she even dated a couple people who were in college. But she's a Dominican sister, and, yeah, I'm married. <laughs> and we were... We were exactly the same. That's I think that's what drew us together, uh, her and I, because she was just as dead set about being married as I was about becoming a nun. And she didn't even graduate. She left. Really? She she ended up leaving because she went for like a come and see weekend, and she I think she joined the order in she joined the order in Nashville, and she was just like, "This is exactly what I'm looking for." And I was like, "Wow." <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know, so sometimes things are not, you know, on your radar or even sometimes you think it's God's will and it's, it's not. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't feel like I settled or anything like that. I just think sometimes things are not on your radar and, you know, it goes back to the old saying that it's kind of funny if you want to make, you know, if you want to make God laugh, make plans. And that's pretty much what I did in you know, I had this elaborate plan, and I mean, I ended up the complete opposite. You know. Yeah. So. Marrying Katie, life here. Yeah. Totally different life path. Oh yeah, because I remember being younger, and I didn't know where I was gonna live or what I was, what I was gonna do. You know, post graduation and stuff. But I, I knew one thing: I'll never live in California. Why would I live in California? <laughs> I'm never doing that. What? You mean you didn't know way back we'd be friends, like, when you were in college. You had to move to California and meet your friend Rachel. I even came to California (laughs) one time, and I was just like, yeah, I don't know a whole lot, but I ain't never living there. Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. But, you know, that is so... It's so neat because I don't think many young people now especially like yours and my generation, we don't really, we aren't accustomed to going through a path and committing to it and then walking away. A lot of times we, like, it's that instant gratification thing that's been built. Like, if it doesn't work, move on quick. But it's like, from what, you went to Europe, you were ready to be a nun and commit to this, and suddenly you were pulled to finish school, and you're like, okay, I'm leaving. That's all God. And even when I came back to the States to finish, I had already applied and been accepted to grad school in Europe. I had already did my interview. I had already, um, you know, my financial aid was going to transfer. Everything was pretty much worked out. I mean, um, I even had a place to live. Wow. I mean, that's how, like, yeah, that's the way, you know, I would say that's one of the ways my my life took a really weird turn because I basically came back to the States all set up for the next phase of my life, you know, for, you know, to to attend grad school. And, yeah, I I guess somebody had other plans because, um, yeah, all the plans I made, none of them came to fruition, you know. (laughs) And when things in between Gabe and I got serious, um, because he knew, I'm like, I, I don't know. I just can't commit to this. This is a lot. Um, 
because I was so fearful in my heart that um, I know this sounds like off topic, but I guess it does parallel Advent in a way because, um, you know, they didn't know, Mary and Joseph didn't know um, what the future entailed for them. And that for me was, uh, it was, it was kind of making me anxious because I had this other path that it's to me was, it was mapped out. It was really concrete. I knew what the results were going to be. And now I kind of was doing this other thing where I, I didn't know that. I wasn't 100% certain. I know that sounds foolish because there's no way I could know 100% certain what the outcome of my, my great plan was going to be. But this backup plan that I was currently kind of winging, um, it caused some anxiety because I didn't know if it was going to work out. Because now you're depending on someone else. I have no problem depending on myself. I have no problem telling you or anyone when I'm wrong. I have no problem failing. But now I kind of had a partner in crime. And I had someone else I was relying on. And that made me anxious. Mm-hmm. Because it because to me, in my mind, this sounds really bad for Gabe, by the way. But it was like, by myself, I'm certain. Right? Mm-hmm. And no matter what happens, I'll just make do. But now someone else is involved, and, like, the end result just didn't have the certain, um, to sound like a statistician, statistician, it didn't have the certain, um, the certain same amount of certainty, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and not that he had ever done anything to make me distrust him or to dislike him or to question his loyalty, anything like that. It just was, it could have been a saint you know, that I was in a relationship with. It just was this, the fact that there was this other person that I now was relying on, that was a, that was a part of my life. To me, it, there just wasn't that clarity or that certainty that there was when I was just by myself. You yeah, know? I totally get that. And it's, I think it always gives me the chills when we film these podcasts together because I have a, t- you know, we're both have for our listeners Stace and I have a very different lives outside of the week you know we're both working lots of stuff we have lots of responsibilities and then we come in here and we have these conversations and we have our agendas of what we're going to talk about and either I'll say something that gives her the chills or she says something (laughs) that gives me the chills but it's just like it happens every so more often than you guys think that I just shake my head and go wow we are this is supposed to be said in this moment it is it is so neat uh to be on this journey with Stacy um because when I was looking at my notes one of the things when I tried to ask my answer that question for myself was like, how do I prepare to love? Of course I get like literal in my head and I'm like, okay, I have to set time and I have to make the room for this love. And I, you know, we're very busy people. We have, you know, especially now adjusting to a global pandemic, we all have the responsibilities the outside world infiltrated our house. Our homes have to balance the lives of many, many people, many responsibilities, not to mention just trying to find time for you and God to have conversations at least once a day to guide you through in prayer. But I think one of the great questions is like, how do we prepare to love we have to see what we already have. 
We have to see and be like, okay, what, what tools are in my uh, resource box right now that will help me be that much more prepared? And then, and this is where I struggle, is the making room part. Um, I'm one of those people that will literally fill every hour of the day with something to do. Um, just because I like the, when I slow down, I get in my head and that's when it all goes down. <laughs> it's like, no, I do not like getting caught in that tidal wave of myself. Um, but when I think about trying to prepare to love another person, those are two things you have to really consider. When you have that partner in crime, like Stacy mentioned, you know, you want to set time for them and not just courting, not just trying to get together and be like, do you like this? I like this. It's just actually like setting time for the two of you um, and then making room for them in your life. Uh, I think that's one thing that I've allowed to be a shield a lot of times in my life is I'm busy or we can have a we can go out for a drink at 10 p.m. That's when I'm free. And no, that's not a booty call, but it's definitely not convenient to meet at 10 p.m. because that's all you got. Um, I let that be for a long time. And so now really looking at the second week of Advent, I think about Mary and Joseph. Thinking about them preparing to love. With Mary, it was very natural for her to accept this love. But Joseph needed a little more encouragement. And I think now in modern day, I really... Not really. I align myself more with him. It would take me a lot more of a push than Mary to just fully accept it. I think I would need more time to be drawn and have that angel intercede in my dream to be like, Rachel, get it together. Yeah, but I mean, you can't sell yourself short. I mean, that's that's part of the great kind of dichotomy of the sexes because... You know, you can you can be married and you and your husband can decide you're going to have kids. But let's face it, once you end up pregnant, um, yeah, you're going to have to ride that out. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas, you know, he's got different emotions he can go through and he has time to work out, work them out in his head. But when you get up, I'm not saying this happened to me because it, it didn't, by the way. But when you get up every morning and you got morning sickness, there's no... Well, we'll just ride this out and see what happens. You know what I, I you know, know what I mean? You say that, but it's like a stark reality <laughs> of like, you know, you can't undo what you did. So exactly. to, so to speak. You're just like, you know, that's the that's the very kind of comical, ironic thing about starting a family is that I mean, some people don't do this, but I know I've had other friends they do this. You know, they really sit down and talk about when they think is the right time to start their family, which is what we did and um because we did things kind of, well, for lack of better ways to say it, ass backwards. We, you know, we figured, uh, you know, the school system has your kid for 12 years. So we want to, you know, Gabe wanted me to be able to stay home and not to work. And, you know, we did things kind of unconventional by today's standards. But it's funny because um, you decide that you're prepared. Uh, there's no way. You're just not. But you can't undo it. No. You know what I mean? But it's funny because we, if you did like we did, which like I said, I had a lot of friends that did it this way, you know, you, you decide you're ready to do it. And that's the comical part because there's, you're not ready. It's so funny because... <laughs> we were like 20 years old. <laughs> Your experience with kids and mine are totally different. Um, 
because many, most of the relationships in my life, when they've had kids, has been a total unplanned experience. It's like they don't choose. They don't choose. They're like, oh, we are going to have this time now. It's usually, oh, hey, and no. it's like that, like sudden you're pregnant and so for me I think that's just kind of the from my own experience that would I think would happen to me would be it would show up when I least thought of it I'd be like oh well here it is you know (laughs) because I think that that's just the comedy of my life but with your experience you're like oh we had this conversation it was planned this yeah, no, thinking. I mean, does that surprise uh, you? I'm a super no. planned out person. Oh, no, it doesn't surprise <laughs> me in the least, but it surprises me because it's just so different from the way I've experienced the world of pregnancy. It's usually a, ha ha, here yeah. we go. Well, and, I, and it's just, it's just the way I've gone through it. I think part of it comes from, Gabe and I are very similar that we both come from families with, with hardly any money. And so... Not that you need a lot of money or anything like that, but there were certain things that were weighing on my mind starting a family that I I didn't want for my own kid. Like, I didn't want to give them everything. I I wanted to, actually, I'm famous for saying this, I wanted them to know what it was like to have to struggle at least a little bit. Mm -hmm. Because um, I I just think it's so important for, for later on in life when things don't work out so that you can actually make it so that when nobody else is there to pick you up off the ground, that you can actually pick yourself up, you know, and have a go at life again. So, I mean, there was just some things that I kind of wanted in place, but, oh yeah. But you know, other than that, other, other than having the conversation and planning it, I mean, nothing went according to plan. (laughs) You know, it still does it. I think struggle and grit are such important things to instill in your kids. And that's a conversation for another podcast. Um, But those two elements are so, I think they're so missing in children today. Is that concept of grit and like working hard for what you have, like from bare bones. Um, Because I think the smartphone generation just taught them like, they can ask Siri ask Alexa you can google it yeah. it's too easy to find out something and so I'm really a firm believer in that grit and like figuring it out and like when you don't have much what do you do how do you adapt and how do you um stay resilient but guys that has been our hour that is absolutely mind-blowing this was so such a great conversation about taking that time in this week to we're not only preparing f- uh, for Advent in this season, but we're also being called to love. So tell us in the podcast, tell us in our Instagram, uh, in our Instagram feed, um, in our Facebook post. How are you taking the time to prepare to love this week? Not for love. Remember, we're taking the four out. We're asking, how are you preparing to love uh that is what we are called to do and since uh tomorrow is a very special day it is the feast of the immaculate conception tomorrow and so we are going to close out with the hail mary to honor our blessed mother in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen hail mary full of grace the lord is with thee blessed art thou amongst women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb jesus 
Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Uh, if you are local in this uh, Central Coast community, we will be having a live streamed Feast of the Immaculate Conception tomorrow at 5 p.m. on our YouTube channel here at St. Patrick's. Um, if you're elsewhere, go ahead and look at your local parish. They probably will have something for tomorrow. Uh, this has been Trial by Fire podcast. Uh, thank you so much for being with us. This is Rachel and Stacy signing out. Have a great week. See y'all next week.